Hello, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode number 88 and I wanted to also say thank you so much to everyone who has listened to my new album, Here Is One I Know You Know, and has sent me lovely messages about it. It means so much. I'm so happy that it's out. Um, If you haven't listened to it, you can find it on streaming platforms um, or on Bandcamp or in record stores just under my own name, Saya. Um, But speaking of new albums, my guest today is Sam Bentley from The Paper Kites, and they have a new album called At The Roadhouse. This is the band's sixth album, and it's so beautiful and written and recorded in a really unique way, um, which we dissect a little bit during this chat. Um, They're such a great band. They've been around for such a long time and connected with a lot of people for a reason. So go check out the album. It's really lovely and clever. And we spoke remotely um, before either of us had released our full albums. So um, it's a it's a nice little moment in time. Um, Sam's strange show experience was illustrated by Ethan Jenkins. You can check out more of Ethan's amazing stuff on Instagram at e.e.jenkins. All illustrations are available to see on the Hearsay podcast uh, Instagram or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Enjoy episode number 88 with Sam Bentley. You know, I was um, realizing when I found out we were doing this interview that you and I have actually met before. Have we? Um, it, w- it was a long, long time ago. We're talking like 12 years ago. And, and you wouldn't remember because I was just a little little young man then. <laughs> and but... I was an old hag. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You were like very prestigious. And I think it was a Josh Pike tour we were opening and it was our very, very first tour outside of melbourne and it was at the i think it was at the cool and gatta hotel was did patience Um, come with me to that gig she did patience from the greats yeah yeah yes and we were just like absolutely (laughs) star-studded like oh my gosh sayer and patience from the greats are here (laughs) so i think i said hello it probably wasn't a proper meeting yeah but i feel like i feel like we met and (laughs) really it was just me saying hello i definitely remember watching your band and I remember thinking you guys are great oh that's nice and the other thing I remembered from that night was when we came back to our car when I think it was my car that I had driven patients and I there um there must have been some kind of bat party just above our car (laughs) and it was covered in bat shit like absolutely that's Queensland for you yeah but like gnarly like a lot of shit (laughs) Uh, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. That's uh, I can't say I've experienced that, uh, but I'm sorry that you had to. Oh, uh, it you know it was really funny. That was a funny, funny tour. I mean, we were so wide-eyed that tour because we'd never been outside of Melbourne before. So Josh had asked us, and we were big fans of Josh of Pikes course. as well. He was kind Who of isn't? the man of the hour. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful songwriter, and um, yeah, we, I think just everywhere we were just. This is amazing. I mean, we were doing it on the cheap, like just sleeping wherever we could and and staying in backpackers and on friends' floors yeah. and things like that. But, you know, it was so great. And it was really cool to just get to see how it could kind of be at, at a, a bit of a bigger level at that point. Yeah. Sort of like, oh, this is how you do it. Yeah, it was really, really cool to I find that so lovely when you know, you, you're on tour with people that actually are good people and you go, that's how it can be, you know, because I feel like yeah. Josh and his band, they're all so lovely and so professional and they're not like, you know, let's get wasted after every show kind of people. Um, <laughs> and it must have been... Not like us. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of nice to, to have those people around when you're young. You're like, oh, that's cool. That's a professional band and, um, that's, and right. that's what we can be too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can think of like a couple of pivotal sort of acts that we have 
been fortunate to play with that have been that for us. Like this is how it could be, and and none of them were. Um, I I can't even recall one act that we've we've toured with that was sort of big on the partying. Like everyone was so um, focused, and they ran a really tight ship. And I think like we took a lot from that. Yeah, who to else to be able to see like. Well, we not long after that Josh Pike tour, um, in Australia at least, we jumped on the Boy and Bear tour, who are lovely, oh, yeah. lovely guys, and we learned a lot on that tour. But then we were asked by Dallas Green, who I think has – have you ch- chatted to Dallas before? No. No, okay. He um he is City and Colour, most people would know him as, and um, he asked us to tour the States – um, for the first time and it was like a seven week tour Whoa. or something it was absolutely huge and I mean for an Australian band even now like that's that's a big opportunity yeah. because you don't get offered many tours like that um, especially when we were the size that we were it was just like really fortunate timing and we got to play venues and, and cities that I I never even thought I'd get to go and visit so Seeing how him and his band worked and that tour worked, I think made us really kind of hungry, I suppose, to, um, I don't know, to, to sort of reach that level ourselves and, and try and do it with the same sort of um, grace. passion yeah. and, and, and grace. And, and yeah, just professionalism, I suppose, because that seems to be the, what separates a lot of acts other than talent for sure. between like the ones that are sort of just around for a little bit and the ones that are really interested in in the longevity and the career of it all. When I first started touring, there were a lot of bands that my first band were touring with that were like, you know, it was like the late 90s, early 2000s, and we played in it like sort of punky pop band, which is also probably a really different vibe to the vibe that you guys are, you know? Like I I feel like there's a lot more (laughs) people being badly behaved. (laughs) No, I I was going to say like a lot of us in our band, we started in punk bands, funnily enough, like... Yeah, just kicking around the Melbourne scene, you know, playing the tote and places like that. So we know, I know that scene for sure. You know about sticky carpets and oh gross, yeah, yep. gross toilets, yep. <laughs> and poles in the middle of the stage, yeah. yep. <laughs> Did you start in a punk band? Is, what's your What's your origin? Yeah, um, absolutely grew up loving punk, um, and so did Dave. So Dave myself and the other Sam in the band bass player Sam who we just refer to as Raz <laughs> um we all started just playing in the local Melbourne scene but Dave his band was kind of a little bigger than ours and we just like absolutely idolized him and his band he was like the coolest cat in town you know he'd always play with his shirt off and would be bleeding all over his guitar and Amazing. we're like, man, this guy's cool. So, you know, and, and the local scene, everyone kind of knew each other. So eventually we would sort of get on the same shows with his band and, and kind of became friends through that. And then, I mean, I don't know how we transitioned to kind of sing a songwriter, folk music, <laughs> but we all sort of made the transition at the same time. Um, I mean, we'd played in these bands and we loved doing it, but I think we all knew it probably wasn't going to get us anywhere. It was just kind of a good time and maybe we could, like, play some cool shows and, and I don't know, like, stage dive or something. <laughs> I, you know, wh- whatever we thought would be. Because those days it was like, how crazy can you be on stage? Yeah. I mean, stage diving is very tame compared to some of the other things. But, um, you know, it was all about how zany could you be, how... Um, How zany were you? I, Did you do anything crazy? Oh, stupid things like, you know, climbing as high as I could and, and doing like little solos. I think I was like Eddie Vedder inspired, <laughs> but not as uh, agile as him. <laughs> uh, and, you know, just like bringing trampolines onto the stage and what? jumping into the crowd. And oh Yeah, I don't God. know. It was silly. and <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Did you hurt but, yourself? Wait, I need to revisit the trampoline thing. <laughs> did you hurt yourself? Uh, no, I, I didn't. No, I was, wow. you know, people were into it. That was just the kind of shows they were. Everyone was yeah. kind of up for a good time. Um, But, yeah, I think eventually I just... There were a few, like, pivotal bands that I'd seen play. This was kind of, like, early, sort of mid to late two thousand and five to 2010 just a few bands that i'd seen play that 
you know, you'd go to the shows and, and people were listening. That was so foreign to me to go to a show and, and everyone was so quiet listening to the band. Um, and I thought, oh, man, like that's actually that's that's affecting people. Yeah, to the point people that, are respecting them. Yeah. <laughs> what is well, that? Res- yeah. <laughs> what is that? That was a very foreign concept for sure. Yeah. But not not only respecting it, but like I could see that people were quite moved by it. Yeah. And and all of a sudden there was just this big shift and that's, you know, what I started listening to. And, and I started going to, um, to music university, a TAFE we called it, um, and I studied composition. I just realized how much I didn't know. You know, when you are growing up and you're a teenager and you just like what you like and you don't care about anything else, it can become a little insular, I think. And I, I just felt so naive when I got out of school and realized, like, I know nothing. I don't <laughs> know about any of these songwriters that you're all talking about. So it was like a really steep learning curve. Um, you know, there was this little record store right near the university and I reckon I kept them afloat for years just with all of the music that I digested wow. really quickly. Um, who, who were your go-to artists back then? Were you like going in there going, give me all the folk guys or give me all the... Yeah, you know? embarrassingly enough to say, I mean, not embarrassingly, but like I really didn't know much about the Beatles. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, you'd know a few songs here and there because you'd just heard them because it's the Beatles. But, you know, I like did a really deep dive on, on their music. And then, like, Neil Young and Bob Dylan and um, eventually guys like Nick Drake and, mm. and just... I, got, I just listened to everything. I wanted to learn about these artists and who they were. I wanted to learn the songs. And I kind of came out of it just like... I was bored with the music that I was playing and... I was like, I want to, I want people to listen to my music, you know. I, I want to be yeah. able to move people, and and so, yeah, I I just it was a big shift, and I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't help it. I just my my mind had been opened, and and I couldn't go back. I actually remember being a similar age, or maybe I was a, just a little bit younger, but probably just out of high school when someone played me Nick Drake for the first time, and I remember being really moved as well Mm. and just thinking wow like someone can sing really quietly and still be super powerful I remember that being really affecting and and I've always sort of thought like music can reveal itself to you Mm. when when you're ready to hear it yeah um you know something that you may not have understood at one point in your life makes makes its way into your life at another time and and it completely makes sense and it um is really affecting because suddenly you're ready to listen and understand these feelings because you felt them yourself yeah. and they're things that you you previously just weren't open to. Um, I, fe- I feel like Nick Drake is that for so many people. Yeah. You're, you're finally ready Definitely. to understand that. And even like just keeping in the Nick themes, um, <laughs> Nick, Nick Cave is someone that has really, as I've gotten older my mind has been completely open to what he does yeah and i just i find it so moving and and so important um and i I really think that wouldn't have happened as a younger man but now that i'm kind of the age that i'm at and have you know experienced a little more of the world and 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 things like that i it just speaks to me so much more and i love that about music and i feel like it happens as long as you're around it'll it'll keep happening if you continue to search for new music like you will always find new things that speak to you but i also feel like when you're in that you know when you're a bit younger you're so much more sponge like yes i feel like now i still get really excited about music but i feel like i'm a li- little bit less fanatic you know <laughs> Uh, but I think when you're like at uni or like in high school or something, you, your mind just gets blown a thousand times a day from from new music and I sometimes really miss that. Yeah, I, I've often heard it said that, um, I mean, not this specifically, but that your taste doesn't so much change from a certain age onwards. Like you mm. kind of like what you like and, and it just sort of stays that way. But I don't know. I mean, I, I would maybe personally have to disagree with that only because I find myself 
particularly when I'm not feeling very inspired, just going back to either records that are just very well regarded in general that I'd never heard before. Mm. Um, like I, I will always give them a chance because I want to find out, you know, what is it about this record that is so um, respected and, and so well regarded that it's become this legendary record. And I've been um, been able to get so much out of that by just, you know, listening to something that I, I wouldn't choose to listen to. So I think there is... There is so much out there. I think it's more the motivation to search for it that yeah. perhaps holds us back um, because being comfortable is great and you know what you like and yeah. those songs will often stay with you forever. So why why look for new ones? I'm going to keep listening to the same <laughs> pavement record until I die. It's, <laughs> it's the best. It always will yeah. be. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, a side question for you. I yeah. was just listening to um, one of your your songs from your upcoming record, oh. which is, is beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Um, it was a song called Home. And then I was reading through the credits. I also love that you uh, you put down the synths that you use. I think <laughs> that's so cool. Um, I saw Fred Armisen played on your record. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, he did. How, how did that happen? That's amazing. Um, well, we we became really good friends a few years ago. We've got lots of friends in common. Okay. And he came and did the podcast and then we just stayed in touch and and then he just bought some um some octobands. Do you know what they are? Uh no, I don't. Long drums. Oh wow. And um and I was like, "Oh, send me some something as send me something of you playing them." And then he sent me some stuff and I felt like at the time I was just like writing and recording in my studio and I just started playing this bass line over it and then that um I said oh do you mind if I use some some of your you playing octobands in my record he <laughs> <laughs> was like that's that fun. is amazing that's how it happened that's so great yeah. I was just wondering how how that came together and yeah. Jen Boyce as well playing yeah, bass you that's know Jen, so great right? yeah. I do yeah she's she's amazing I haven't seen her in a long time but I had breakfast with her today player. Oh, amazing. Yeah. She's just such a killer bass player. Like oh, surely surely one of our best. I know. Definitely one of the best. Yeah, Jen and I wrote we went to this like music camp thing um a couple of years ago and we'd always like been in each other's vicinity but we hadn't um you know, we hadn't hung out a bunch and uh we just totally like fell in friend love and wrote a really <laughs> funny little song together and have been like yeah really close ever since that's great yeah she's a good person she's to know the best yeah <laughs> but so back to you <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me well actually I'd, I think I'd like to talk a little bit more about little Sam and um <laughs> so you said you weren't really too familiar with the Beatles which I feel like is a real staple for people growing up you know, their parents were Beatles fans and so therefore <laughs> they had a lot of Beatles in the house. But did did you have a musical household? Did you have any records at home that your parents played? Not really. Um they're gonna they're gonna hate me for saying this, but <laughs> I I have always lamented the fact that my parents I feel like they never passed down any good records to me, if any records. Um but I I grew up in a um sort of uh we, they were musical in the sense that they they liked and appreciated music so we sort of grew up in the church and uh my mum was quite involved with the music there mm. so she'd kind of sing in the church and and as a result sort of recruited me I, I was like a a keen drummer at the time so yeah so I think I was maybe 10 or something and she said do you want to come and play music in my my little church band who plays on Sundays and um you know I kind of did that and I've got to say like I it's I think it's much different now but back then a lot of the church music was really rooted in like gospel and and R&B and soul like even though they were like predominantly sort of white bands playing them like just in the 90s if you listen to some of that music you can just hear it like it's so influenced by gospel um and so 
you know, playing those sort of songs and, and the bands were so fun and, and creative. Like I was quite immersed in that kind of music at that age. Um, so kind of all through like my very, very early teens, I was maybe unbeknownst to me, like very much taking in the rhythms and, and the chords and the melodies and things like that. Um, Did you sing hymns and stuff as well? There were hymns as well. There were sort of two services that they would play, and the first one was kind of the, you know, the hip service, and the second one was what they would call the oldies service. So they would have this this little old lady who would play the organ, and they would Amazing. just sing hymns. I I never really got into the hymns. Um, funnily enough, I quite appreciate them now, but you know that was sort of my musical education growing up was very much in the church and. Um, the reason why I asked about hymns is because I feel like there's so many beautiful melodies and harmonies that can be sung in hymns and um, and that's a real sort of, you know, that's a real sort of base to, to learn music from as well. Totally, totally. And I, I've always found like a lot of connection. Um, my mum is, is Irish, well, she's an Irish immigrant who moved to Australia when she was very young. So I've always felt a connection with that music and and when you sort of look back on the hymns and and the history of them there is a sort of um kinship with those old folk songs as well and the melodies and the way they move and the way that the songs are structured is so similar to to a lot of old folk um folk pieces and so you know sort of both sides of of the uh the spectrum there particularly with the uh I suppose the church music growing up, I was getting a little bit of, bit of gospel and a little bit of soul, and and then, yeah, as I said, like, without knowing it, probably a little bit of um, sort of folk and storytelling and and uh, just lyrical phrasing and things like that, and really beautiful um, sort of psalm poetry and things like that. So, yeah, I I grew up in that. Um, my dad was. He was a graphic designer at the time, sort of when I was younger. And I actually only found this out recently because I'd had this realization that, I, Dad, I don't really know much of your story. Like, I mean, I kind of know it how I saw it, but I've never asked you now as an adult, like, how, how, you know, how you stepped through that time when we were younger. And he told me... uh, that he was kind of working in this job and he was um, sort of set to do architecture essentially um, and got this job and, and it was a very high paying job and, and really prestigious and he kind of got to this position in the business where they they really wanted to sort of keep him there and he had this weird kind of moment where he felt like he wanted to move into some kind of ministry role. Whoa. And... So his boss sort of when when dad told him like I feel like I'm I'm going to quit and become you know work in ministry his boss said um no we really want you to stay like can you just think about this and so he took a day to think about it and and came back and they said we'll double your salary if you stay wow. um and so I think he kind of took that home to to mum and they talked about it and he came back and said no like I I feel like this is what I want to do and then they said all right we'll, we'll double your salary and we'll pay off your mortgage they just bought a house wow um, what the heck I know Who it was crazy and, <laughs> <laughs> and he said he said no wow. and he turned it down and and ended up moving into into ministry and and yeah so that's kind of what my dad did he he did go back to it at one point he kind of um stopped working at the church and, and went back to his uh, sort of architecture design work. And I feel like he'd, he's always kind of been wa- walking that, that line between, I suppose, a creative outlet and, yeah. and also working with the community and, and with people in that sense. So that's kind of my dad. I just found that fascinating that, that that's so how interesting. convicted he felt about doing that kind of work that he would turn something down like that. I don't, I think I'd have yeah, a hard time doing the same thing. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, very, uh, my family have always loved music and, and I think growing up in that environment certainly equipped me with 
a great understanding of songwriting and rhythm and and lyrics and things like that. Yeah, I bet. You know, it's so funny when you were talking about the poetry and the phrasing of the church music. I went to an Anglican school and uh, we had to sing a few hymns at assembly and stuff. And there was this one hymn which always used to give me the giggles because the phrasing was so weird. I think I come from a Beatles background where everything is sort of in like 4-4 or 3-4 or and everything's on the one and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like yep. there was no syncopation. It was all very, very like straight down the line. It's very and, pleasing. Yep. And, um, and this one hymn was like, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And then... <laughs> Dying that we had want to internal life. It was just like so off, and I used to always get the giggles. Um, I will say some of those those composers were very ambitious with their phrasing <laughs> and how many words they would try and fit into a line. For sure, that was very ambitious indeed. Now, when I think back on it, I'm. It's so funny to me that even then, at like you know fourteen. It gave me the giggles that I was like, there's something just not right about this. There's too many words that are that they're trying to fit into this bar, you know? <laughs> and it's very it's very stop starty. And that's yeah. something that still to this day makes me laugh. Um, you know, whenever I do end up going to a church and they are singing hymns, yeah. there's always someone that is starting the line too early. So there's never like and they're always the one with the strongest voice, always coming in last, starting first. <laughs> really, really makes me that. laugh. I do it now. It very much embarrasses my uh, my family. But yeah, but it's just too. It's too easy. It's, it's a good. It's an easy laugh. Um. <laughs> so is the, is the church and still a big part of your life now? I guess in a way, like I mean, if we're talking about sort of spirituality, I think maybe that's a separate thing, perhaps because I've I'd probably say that I'm still kind of working through the idea of of church I mean I'm certainly a spiritual person and I think it's very difficult to to be a songwriter and be aware of the power of music and not have some sort of spiritual feeling or understanding that that music is is sort of an otherworldly language that I think we can't necessarily always understand and and it does it does really transcend a lot of what we know, the fact that it can just it can just move people, uh, I think, regardless of their their background. But you know, I think when it comes to the church, I I mean, I'm not I won't go too much into it, but because I have seen both sides of it, I've I've, I've grown up in it and I've seen the power of it, and I've also seen the business of it, and and sort of how the how the sausage is made a little bit and and the jesus sausage <laughs> the jesus sausage <laughs> i mean i think that anything that is good for a while you know that seems like a wonderful spiritual gathering and i'm not just talking about the church i'm talking about any kind of community that that has a spiritual um i guess hunger at at the center of it eventually you know, politics come into it and, and people very often will be the cause of its downfall. And and I think that's the thing I struggle with most is is people ruining things. <laughs> yeah, but that could happen <laughs> you know? in any any situation, couldn't it? That's just like that's right. you could just be in a band and there's one person that, you know, just severely has different politics to you and then it's ruined. It's very true. And and I think as a result of it, it's it's kind of made me not want to be a part of a community because I just struggle with the different views and I struggle with the people. And I think I, at the moment, kind of would rather just be on my own spiritual journey. And I think that's maybe a little bit against the idea of community and, and the church. And But, you know, that's just where I'm at. I just, I am certainly a spiritual person, but I do struggle with other people. And, yeah, um, and and no one's gonna be on the same journey as you, I suppose. I I often think of that with like music community because I think that is probably the the biggest community that I belong to, or I at least like to think that I identify with the most. And 
there's all kinds of people in that community. There's nobody's on the, the exact same journey as you. I mean, a lot of people have common goals and common feelings about things and you definitely gravitate towards those people more. But there's so many people where you're just like, who the fuck are you? Like, you, I thought we, <laughs> you know, that's right. we had the that's same right. goals. Yeah, and, and I think you'll find that anywhere. I, I find a lot of people at my age... Uh, are similar like not not even spiritually just just in their life they will tend to avoid things where people have different opinions to them and 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 i don't know i I think there's something about like just keeping yourself safe and and sane and mentally healthy that sometimes causes us to avoid other people yeah Um, well uh, being avoidant is safe sometimes that's right. That's right. But then that's where the the funny thing is like I am on stage all the time like performing for people and and that I suppose regardless of of I suppose where I'm at in the journey that I'm on that's sort of the little bit of good that I feel like I can do is being able to connect with people in a way that I think we both understand because we're both there I mean I'm there doing what I do and they're there because they've felt something that has made them want to be there definitely and so you know if I can manifest some kind of feeling for them that feels beyond what they know then I feel like I'm doing my job as a songwriter and and so I'm happy to kind of be wrestling with with my dislike of people ruining things <laughs> if it if it means that you know like I can be playing music and people can just come and take what they want they don't yeah. have to there's no politics to it you know it's just music like just come and listen and feel what you want to feel you don't even have to talk to anybody yeah, and then no you talking leave and it's so that's right <laughs> and and it really is like I don't know if you go to shows by yourself very often yeah but I do I find it very um very restorative and very healing mm. to just allow yourself to to feel something and to not have to talk about it <laughs> absolutely i've i've been to a couple of like really moving shows by myself and it was really lovely but also very weird because i think that we're taught at such a young age to share those big situations with people like for example I went to see Beyonce by myself which was so (laughs) insane like that would have been amazing I just wanted to um I just wanted to share that with someone because you know she was like flying across the room and I was like I just wanted to turn around to someone and be like fuck (laughs) this is insane (laughs) but then you know but then I also just really loved that I was there by myself because I could Mm. really take it in and then I also went to see um, another one that comes to mind is I went to see Mogwai by myself in London. Mm. And that was also just so beautiful and moving. And then something really insane happened to me. The um, This guy that was standing in front of me just fainted into me. <laughs> <laughs> into your arms. In, into my like body. Just like <laughs> completely just like fell on on me. Um, Did you catch him? I I tried to catch him. Yeah, I sort of half caught him. And then um, luckily, because it was a really big venue, they had like medical staff there and they came out and like got him on a stretcher. And again, I was like, I mean, it was weird not to be able to turn around to someone and go, that was weird. (laughs) But also I kind of loved that I just had that whole weird situation and and nobody else was there. It kind of added to the to the beauty of the show in a way i mean hopefully he was all right i hope so i think he was okay <laughs> you'll yeah. never know and that's, I'll that's never the know. beauty of it there was nothing in the news <laughs> <laughs> but you know like i mean those experiences that you you kind of remember and you hold on to even though they were just by yourself they become these uh sort of sacred moments that you I don't know the sort of the, the secret smiles in the corner of your mouth like you you just remember how you felt in those moments for me it's like it's such um it's such creative fuel like being yeah. able to go and see music and and particularly see it by yourself in order to just 
be in it and not have to be in conversation with anybody just just to watch and listen and let it wash over you to me like that's that's such fuel um i went to a show the other week at the northcote and um just seeing some young acts play just young like singer songwriters and, yeah. and folk musicians and it was so great and and so encouraging i think just to know like ah oh, even this this next generation coming up like we're fine we're gonna be fine like there are young people who are listening to the same things that that we discovered and that moved us and and they're translating it in their own way and i don't know there's just such an amazing uh sort of recycling of, of these beautiful songs and and musicians that will just live on and and be interpreted through so many different lenses i just loved it yeah i loved seeing that that's really nice and also then thinking about how you know you maybe you you're doing that for a whole nother generation of people you know people come to see you play and think wow that's that's really moved me i want to move people as well yeah i mean i would i would hope so yeah yeah speaking of being moved you've got a, an album coming out in september which was recorded very differently to how you've recorded previously. Um, can you tell me where you went? Sure. So we recorded this album in a little town in Victoria called Campbell's Creek. Um, very, very small country town, not too far from, from Castlemaine, if you've ever heard of that yeah. area. Um, and it's it's in Jara country. It's just beautiful, beautiful country. And you you can very much um, sort of feel the energy of the place when you're there. And um, even just driving there from Melbourne, like there, there is this moment you kind of cross into into that country and you f- sort of feel like, oh, I, I feel like I'm somewhere different. I feel like you, you can just sort of sense that there's history there and, and, and there's a lot of beauty there and, and I'm sure a lot of hardships as well. But we found this building up there um that was an old gold mining supply store and we had been talking about this idea for a long time of um sort of creating a venue i I suppose and um playing a residency there as, as the house band so we'd been looking for somewhere to do it um because it was a project that was very dependent on the venue and if the venue wasn't right then there was no point sort of doing this thing um, and I had heard about, uh, Alex who had a studio up there and it was like an all analog studio. He'd, he'd sort of built it with his dad and it was an old stable on their property that had just kind of been fitted out. And so we went to see Alex's studio and in front of the studio is this old building. Um, like I said, it used to be this gold mining supply store and then I think it was a pub and then it. there was a fire there but sort of the bones of the structure survived and then it was sort of restored I mean it's still it was still very um rickety I guess you'd say but Mm. Alex showed us around and and we didn't expect to find that that was the place that we were going to do it but as soon as he showed us the space he's like you know this is sort of this unused space I mean it has been a few things in its life but it's not being used for anything right now and we just asked him like do you think we could do these shows here um and so we ended up getting uh getting together and, and kind of talking about how could this work how could we make this happen and essentially what we wanted it to be was this dive bar and i say dive bar because in australia at least there are pubs when you think of a pub it has a very particular flavor um especially when you kind of go out back like yeah country pub that's right and and they are i suppose romanticized a little because of your uh, your crocodile dundee yeah i was and, just and gonna like say that. <laughs> that's right you know but i think the reality of them is is far uh, far more chill uh, i'm not gonna say tame because they can be pretty wild yeah but yeah just it just wasn't what we were looking for um and so we we wanted it to be this place that was sort of a collection of 
you know, all the greatest sort of dives and, and biker bars and places like that that we'd ever been to on the road. Like, let's take all of those and put it into this place. Amazing. Um, and so we've got a friend of ours, Matilda Woodruff, who is an incredible uh, set designer. And we kind of brought her into the space and said, like, can you help us turn this into into the roadhouse? And, like, this isn't a set, Matilda. Like, this is this needs to be an actual bar. Like this is a living, breathing place. <laughs> yeah. You're actually fitting out a venue. Let's, um, yeah, like it's not, this isn't fake. Like we're really doing this thing. Um, and so she went away and, and we went away and, and kind of came up with this plan and ended up bringing all of this stuff to Campbell's Creek to fit this place out. And people must have been thinking like, what is going on here? You get <laughs> locals driving by, kind yeah. of poking their heads in. Um, and yeah, we just, I, it, and to be fair, it didn't really take much. I mean, the building was, was already kind of most of the vibe was there, but we just fitted it out with a few things. Um, you know, even things from our childhood and our family history, just to make it sort of feel lived in and, and feel real. And I just remembered, I mean, this is something I'd imagine doing for ages. And, and the idea was let's open the doors to this bar and we won't tell anyone we're doing it like let's just see what happens let's see if anybody shows up um and we're just going to play this record we're going to play these songs that we've written it was like 16 songs so we would do two sets every night of of eight songs each uh play the whole album start to finish and then that would be it so i remembered opening the doors for the first time when it was done and walking in and not to sound uh, cliche or, or, or use something that's been said by so many people, but it really did feel like you were walking into something from your dreams because it was something that we had imagined. You had dreamed and it. That's it right. And, cool. and it was there and it was this living, breathing venue. Um, and, you know, then people started walking in and, and, they were just curious as to what was going on and the band kind of kicked off and and started playing and we did eight shows across the month so it would happen every friday and saturday night and word just started to get around the community and and by the end of it we had to turn people away we could not fit anyone else (laughs) in and the shows were just truly some of the most amazing musical moments that I've ever had. The band was so great. Um, And people were coming back, you know, like people that had come one night came back the next week and came back the next night and just kept bringing people and it just turned into this real community thing. By the end of it, I mean, we had to take it apart, but people were sort of begging us like, you know, we need this, like don't don't take this venue down. Like this is amazing. So... And we filmed the whole thing. We made the record there as well. Um, yeah, I think you made it with Matt Redlick, who I, we I did. went to high school with. Did you really? Yeah. We've known each other since we were little. He's an amazing man. And um, he was actually someone I, I had called early on before we'd even done it just to say, like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Do you think we could record this and and are you the man to do it? <laughs> um, and he's just like a wizard with that sort of stuff. He, he just built all of these preamps and brought them down. And um, He's so analog. I can imagine he would have absolutely loved that. He did. Yeah, he did. And and I should say it is a little confusing, um, but we we would record during the weeks um, in, in the analog studio out back and Matt kind of brought his gear in because we wanted to play it live. We wanted it to feel as much like the shows as we could. But then we would play the shows on the weekend. So the songs would kind of change and and grow from playing them. And then we would kind of take that energy and try and record those songs. And that's sort of how it all came together. How do you write songs? So do you normally bring a song to the band and then they make their own decisions on their creative parts or what's the normal process? Generally, uh, at least previously, it has often been that I would write the songs and I would I'd bring them in 
pretty much finished. So I would kind of record my ideas, uh, even musically, like the, the keys and bass and guitar parts, and just sort of say, this is sort of how I'm thinking the song should go. And, and we would either go off that or we would change a few things, but it was usually me bringing in the songs. Um, and it, it was that for a lot of songs on this record, but we also tried our hand for the first time. I mean, this is our sixth record, but for the first time actually writing together in the same room. Um, and it was go? great. I think there was like th- maybe four, three or four songs on the record from those sessions as well. It was awesome. I think we really only scratched the surface of what we could maybe do together because um, a lot of the songs were already done. But I think maybe looking ahead, that's something I'd be interested to do. But um yeah, I mean, the songs were there. That Some of them were really, really old songs that just hadn't found a home yet, and some of them were written with this project in mind. But um, we rehearsed them. We, we have a uh, rehearsal space on a Brussels sprout farm. Uh, <laughs> Delicious. In, in a place in, in the Yarra Valley, if you're familiar with that, in, uh, yeah. in Victoria. It's a beautiful wine country, and... Um, yeah, some friends of ours have a Brussels sprout farm, so we <laughs> we have this old aeroplane hangar out there that we rehearsed all these songs in. And I remember it, it was so cold, there's just no heating there. And then when we took the band to the roadhouse to, to do the residency, again, there was no heating there at all. So they just had a little fireplace, and um, that was all we had to kind of keep us warm. And in the studio during the week... We couldn't even light the fire in there because our mutual friend Matt Redlick uh, has a little little asthma and couldn't handle the smoke, so oh, no. we had to freeze, freeze, and and record our music with him. It was still very, very joyful. I have like really the best memories of of oh. those shows and the band. We um had a few extra players, so it's the five of us who are the original members of the band, but. We brought in um, Hannah Cameron, who is a great singer-songwriter, and we also brought in Matt Dixon, who is a phenomenal guitarist, but uh, dare I say maybe an, an even better pedal steel player, oh, which is a rarity in Australia. I feel like there's not many um, steel players, and and he's just so intuitive and, and so skilled at what he does. Amazing. Um and then Chris Panasakis as well, who plays under Timberwolf and has had a few other projects. He was in the band as well. That kind of made up our eight, and um, it was just it was just fun. It was just a great band of, of very talented players, um, probably playing songs that were well below their skill level. But <laughs> Doesn't matter. That makes it even more fun. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know if you found that. Well, I I like not panicking about what what I'm about to do. <laughs> <laughs> I I've always been told I can't remember who said it to me, but it's always stuck with me that you know if you kind of imagine a bar being the absolute limit of of the skill level what you have and, and what you could be playing, yeah. you should always kind of drop below it, and that's where you should sit most <laughs> yes. of the time. <laughs> Because otherwise, you've got nowhere to go. Do you know what your bar is? I don't. I truly don't. Yeah, I don't know what mine no. is either. There's one song that I was playing with Regurgitator that had a flugelhorn solo, <laughs> and I had to play it on the synth, and that always just freaked me out. <laughs> took took you to the bar. <laughs> yeah, took me to my bar. Sometimes I fell off. Sometimes I made it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I well avoid the bar. I don't want to be anywhere near it. I want to be in my comfort zone. Anytime there's a solo or anything, I'm yeah. staying well away from that. Yeah. Just, in a weird way, like singing, I do it time and time again, even though I tell myself not to do it, is I write melodies that are way more complicated than I think I'm actually capable of singing. I, mm. I do end up pulling it off, but even trying to replicate that live you know you you panic and you're like oh why did I write it like that why couldn't I just do something else I'm an idiot um there's a song actually coming out it's called I don't want to go that way and there's a few it's a really nice song and and probably one of my favorites on the record it should be out by the time this is out I think but 
there's a few little trills in there and I I just keep thinking why did I put that in there <laughs> I'm never going to be able to do that <laughs> but you're such a beautiful singer you can get away oh, with thank you. a lot um <laughs> but I was going to ask I mean I've I've been listening to the singles of the new record at the Roadhouse mm-hmm. how do you go about writing and rewriting are you the kind of writer that just has a whole song fall out of your brain or do you revisit and rewrite it's funny I would have prior to this album said I would never do that like a song is is kind of a song and it's done and I'm not going to touch it again um but even for this record like I would write a song and I would actually, some of them I recorded like three different versions of them, musically three different versions that sounded like completely different songs. I really just took the lyrics um, because I I liked the lyrics, but I just felt like they weren't quite working in this way. So it was was almost like a little exercise in in how can I make this work? If I try it in a different style, is it going to feel better? And, And a lot of the times it did and... Um, that was the first case of, of doing that. But generally, I'm still kind of an advocate for just leaving it and not overworking it. Your first idea is the best. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, there are some people that really labor over songs and they'll spend a lot of time, you know, tweaking them and, and coming back to them. And, I mean, I've certainly done that with some songs and I'm never going to say that, a song just fell out or that it was easy to write or, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just wrote itself. I, I really hate that because, like, every decision you make is intentional. Like, the song doesn't write itself. Like, you are actively making those decisions and taking it in that direction. So, But sometimes it's easier than other times. Uh, yeah, and it can be. And But I, I will always finish a song no matter what. Like, even if I think I'm never going to use this or this is well below what I think I should be doing. I'll never not finish it because I think every idea, whether it's a good one or not, is a valid idea that in some way is, I mean, somewhere in your subconscious, like this is an important idea to Mm. you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be validating it by sort of pulling it out. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll always try and give an idea its day and, and just finish it. And sometimes I'll surprise myself because it's a maybe a better song than I, I thought it was going to be or it's just as bad as, as I thought it would be and, and it never gets used. And yeah. thankfully, <laughs> I have other members to tell me when it's a bad song. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, really I might good. have made some different decisions. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I it, it is a slog sometimes and, and sometimes, like you said, it is like, this weird magic where it just appears but it doesn't happen without work like you really yeah. are really are kind of mining the the very deepest corners of your mind to pull out this this song yeah and sometimes you pull out turds you just can't, you can never tell <laughs> you can't you just can't polish it you really can't well uh, you've said in the past that your bandmates uh, you know, that, that all five of you are some of the most creatively opinionated people ever. Can you talk to that a little bit? I'm really always interested in band dynamics and, and how it's, ideas happen. It's just, Saya, it is exhausting. It truly is. <laughs> and it's so, it's so hard because particularly as, as the songwriter, I, I suppose the main songwriter in the band, like you really do get attached to songs and ideas and, and, it's very, very frustrating to have anyone disagree with you. Of course. And it's it's so it's so silly. You know, we argue about the silliest things, but it I think it's all with the view to to try and make something as good as it can be. But when someone comes up against you and you just think, You are so wrong about that, like you just don't <laughs> get where I'm coming from. But really, like, how can they? Because they're not you. Like yeah. even in, in a band where we're so close to each other and we know each other so well, like we've not had the same experiences. And so the things, the language we speak musically is not always the same. Um, I know lots of people would like to think that 
when you play together so much you know you just become entwined in that way and, and the language is there and you know what in some ways it is and and there is like a kinship there that could only come from being friends and and being I suppose musical colleagues that long but we're also like on our own journey and of course I'll just bring ideas that into the group that people won't respond to in, in the way that I wanted them to and yeah. Sometimes you really have to advocate for your ideas. I mean, there were songs on this record that I just knew other people didn't want on the album. Um, and each one, like, had their, their reasons. And, and I would push back on that and say, I think you're wrong. And to be fair, that's why we ended up with 16 songs because <laughs> there were <laughs> there were elements to this project that I felt... Like you're missing an angle if you take away that song. If you yeah. don't include this particular song, like then people don't get to see a part of of I guess the vision and 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 the sound and and the band that was sort of playing these songs that we were doing. Like you're taking that away from people. So you know there there is certainly times that have gotten like I've I've been really heated and have had to kind of remove myself. Um, less so these days, I, I think because there is a bit more understanding of each other. Yeah. Um, but there's still yet to be a record where there aren't songs that are fought over. And, and you know, it's it's just people trying to, I guess, communicate with sound and, yeah. and lyrics and, and words that we want we want people to understand and they, they don't always understand them, even in, in the band itself. Like That's actually a really lovely thing to hear because it sounds to me as an outsider who obviously hasn't been in the room, but to me it sounds like everyone is fighting passionately for their own vision of, of that sound. And Absolutely. How nice that everyone's that everyone cares, you know. I think that's yeah, yeah. actually really lovely. Because you don't want to be in a band with someone who's just who's not going to tell you when you're pulling turds out of your brain. Like that would be that would be horrible. You want it. You want them to tell you. Yeah, and I think like there have been so many occasions where I've thought back after the record's done, and and just thought like, oh man, like thank the heavens that that song was not on the record because <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible song. Yeah. Like what was I thinking? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, that's credit to the other guys because they also, as, as much as I think I have a very good grasp on what this band is, so do they. And, and so the reason that things turn out the way they do is it's not just me. It's, it's them coming and saying, no, like, yeah. that's not right. This is how it should be. Yeah, so we're, we're lucky for that. Even though I it's think. frustrating, I bet. It's but very it's frustrating important. and it's very necessary. Yes. Yep. <laughs> have you ever um, had a song where you've, you've sort of wished like maybe lyrically or, or musically where you listen to it now and you think, oh, I've, I did make a mistake back then. Even though I fought for that idea, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to be careful with what I say because I know that there will be people listening to this that, you know, really love the band and, and, yeah. and as, attached to certain songs. But, you know, I think of a song like Bloom, Mm. which is not even arguably like it's it's one of our it's the sort biggest, of biggest songs yeah. and it's just managed to to just keep having this life um you know I was so young when I wrote that and I look back on a song like that now and I, I truly think like that is not at all my best effort at mm. a song like I I find it very simple and I don't even think I could write another song like that if I tried it's just it was just a different time. Well, it's really hard um, to write a simple song, it turns out. It is, it is. And, I mean, you know, if I heard a song like that now, I don't know if I would like it because it's just not where I'm at Yeah. now as a songwriter. I, I find meaning and interest in, in different things and different melodies. And so it feels so young to me. It feels very... Um, yeah, I guess it just takes me back to a time where I felt like I didn't know as much as I know now. But people love that song. Yeah, and so it's beautiful. I have to be very respectful to 
where it's taken us and and also the attachments that people have to songs like that where it it really is out of your hands like it's not your song anymore it is their song and it's you know I do respect that and I I certainly am very thankful for songs like that and and the doors that it's open for us but you know if we're talking about analyzing songs and feeling like oh I wonder if like I could have done that better or, or change anything. You certainly think about those songs that, you know, make you feel young. Yeah. And I don't mean young, you know, in terms of youthful and, and full of vitality. I mean, like, you you don't know as much as you know now. You hadn't heard all the Nick Drake records yet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I think there's, like, it's, it's a little bit... Um, I don't know, you feel kind of bashful or something when you hear those songs and you're like, oh, if only I knew what I know now, maybe I would do something differently. But that's the great thing about a song is it's it's a time capsule. It's It captures that moment when, where you were at that time and you've got to let it have its day. Definitely. And, and you can't change that. So, yeah, it's a fascinating thing, artists looking back on their old work and, and how they feel about it. I find it really funny. Um <laughs> but I'm I'm so excited that you get to release this record that obviously the whole project has been on your mind for such a, a long time and it's so nice to birth that into the world and have everyone be able to hear all the hard work that went into it. Um, I'm going to ask you my very last question, which is the question that I ask everyone. Can you tell me what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? um i mean i i don't have too many strange show experiences i mean interesting past past people like kind of fainting and calling out things and yeah 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 you know throwing things every now and then like the the shows aren't too wild that we play but you know certainly weird things happen on the road that's for sure um i was trying to think of like you know, what's the strangest thing that's happened to me? And some weird things have happened, like, but a story that I remembered, and I, I have to apologize in advance for anyone that is uh, is queasy because it is a, a bit of a gross story and not one that I'm <laughs> particularly proud to tell, but I will tell I'm it. I'm so excited. Um, and I, I would maybe precursor it by saying it's not the weirdest thing that's happened to me, but it's certainly the most uh, unfortunate Okay, I'm ready. Um, And this this took place uh, at Winnipeg Folk Festival, which is an incredible folk festival if if you are uh, sort of into that kind of music. Um, And the festival site is about a sort of half an hour to 40-minute bus ride from the hotel that they put all the artists up at. So, you know, it's very, very hot there in the summer. Um, it's so funny you said it was hot in Winnipeg because Winnipeg is the coldest I've ever been in my entire life. We played there in winter and it was like minus 40 or something. It was absolutely you are not wrong. fucking freezing. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's a fair comment because Winnipeg and Edmonton, I can second that, is also the coldest I have ever been in my life. Like to the point where yeah, you just can't freezes. breathe. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, you know, they just have very extreme weather there. I mean, we would say we have extreme weather in Australia, but we don't get the cold like they do, and they get the heat like we do. So um, it was hot, and we got to the festival site, and, you know, when when you kind of get there after, I think we'd just arrived, and, and we'd sort of flown quite a long way to get there, and you kind of look for some food you know is there anything to eat generally a lot of festivals will provide food for the artists is like usually i mean there's been some amazing catering situations we've stumbled into but this was kind of like the end of the lunch cycle and and we were sort of you know at the end of the line yeah and i think i tried my hand on on some sort of vegan situation i i should say i'm not vegan but i think it was all that was there and i was like great you know this is free food let's let's do it yeah um anyway so i i can't even remember what it was i ate but i started kind of going about my day it was going to be a great night like 
I think the staves were playing possibly like war and drugs or something. It was, yeah. it was going to be good. And I just started feeling quite unwell during the day. And I thought like, oh man, I think I need to go and lie down or something. And the only way back to the hotel is, is a bus. So mm-hmm. you wait in line for the bus, they come and pick you up and they take you back. So I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm getting onto this early enough. I should be fine. Um, kind of got onto the bus. Wait, had you played already? We hadn't played yet. We were supposed to play the next day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was kind of like a fortunate gap. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the bus started up. We kind of pulled out and I just, I turned very, very fast. I know. And just started like, you know, the vision went blurry. Oh my gosh. And I should also say like, I'm going to, I'm going to just make a call and say like, this does not happen to me often. Like I am pretty, I have a pretty strong constitution you know, things are uh, are pretty locked down most yeah. of the time. But, you know, I just took a turn on this bus oh, and, no. and, you know, like I could feel that kind of hot, hot feeling where like your head is pounding and, and your heart's racing. And I must have been like making all sorts of noises because people kind of moved away from me <laughs> on the bus. Um, I remember like you no know, one was really sitting around me when there had previously been people around me. <laughs> And I, I don't remember a lot of it. Like I was kind of making these weird noises and like I feel like I was banging my head against the window. Oh, no. And then it just, you know, that panicking feeling like I'm going to vomit. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to throw up and I'm on a bus. Oh, like no. what am I going to do? And the only thing I had was my trusty backpack. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> I unzipped the backpack and I just let loose into my backpack. <laughs> just... You would not believe the amount of vomit that just filled filled this backpack. And the sound, I'm sure, was just atrocious. And, you know, oh, I felt no. I felt pretty good after that, but oh. you know, I had to like I had a backpack full of vomit. What yeah, was I gonna do? do? And I had to like do this walk of shame and sling it over my shoulder and just walk <laughs> off the bus. <laughs> Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, delirious walking into the hotel. Had one of those guys, like, can I help you with your bag, sir? You know, no, please don't touch my bag. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> look, credit credit to the uh, backpack company. It held together brilliantly wow. and I made it to my room. And uh, Where you set it on fire. No, it was it was back, back at it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I would have set it on fire. Yeah, it was um, much to the disgust of everyone. But when you're on tour, I mean, that was the only backpack I had. So I had to, you know, and it served me well for a, a little while longer and then it, it had to go. But that was, it was a horrible, horrible experience. I yeah. mean, it could have been way worse. Let's be honest. It could have been worse. It could have been way yep. worse. And, you know, it, it did get a little worse in, in the coming days. Yeah. But I managed to keep it together and we, we got through the shows. And Not yeah, in public, I it was, hope. It was not yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah, that is like yeah. I'm so relieved that you didn't have to play that day because I think that I've definitely <laughs> had shows where I'm like I actually can't play or or if I am going to play I'm going to have to have a bucket next to me, you know. I mean, if you do get the chance to see a band with someone on stage is looking quite ill, it it's yeah. pretty thrilling like it, it does is, add yeah. an extra element to it but yeah you know i hope to never experience that again yeah that's brutal (laughs) yeah i'm glad you got through it and was your show okay in the end it was fine yeah it was it was a great show yeah Yeah. hey thank you so much for telling me that story and being so lovely and honest with your um feelings about your music and songwriting i'm so looking forward to the new album um thanks so much for coming on you're very welcome and also looking forward to your uh, your upcoming record too thank you so much 